This morning, what I am going to speak about is something that affects so many different things, but particularly um, our relationships with our friends, neighbours, colleagues, husbands, wives, um, children, family members. And in so many of these different relationships, um, this one thing um, can affect them in so many different ways. And a slightly cryptic start, but to get us started, I've got a few clues um, to give you a hint about what we're going to chat about today. So this is the thing um, that keeps us from celebrating other people's success sometimes. Um, this is the thing that keeps you from initiating an apology even when you know that you were in the wrong. This thing that keeps you arguing your point even after you realize you didn't actually have a point in the first place. <laughs> this is the thing that keeps you from admitting sometimes that actually you got it wrong. It keeps you from being honest with yourself. Keeps you from being honest with other people sometimes. It's what sometimes causes us to feel good when other people fail. It's definitely what causes us to need the final word in argument. It's what causes us to worry about what people might think if we say something or we do something in particular. And it's what causes us to get defensive when someone offers us a bit of constructive advice about something. Has anyone got any guesses as to what that might be? <laughs> pride, pride, I think I heard someone say. Um, and I'm sure none of us would actually have resonated with any of those things that I've just mentioned. I'm sure we're just sitting next to someone who we're fairly sure did. And, and if we did like, resonate with any of those things, we probably wouldn't actually want to admit it anyway, because that's what it does. And joking aside, I don't know about you, but I definitely resonated with a lot of those things. Anyone who knows me well will know that I can be a little bit opinionated at times. I, I know what I think, and there's nothing wrong with that necessarily. There's no problem with having a bit of confidence in your own opinion, at least that's what I like to tell myself. But if I'm not careful, um, then it can just, these things that I mentioned, they can just become another version of pride and can actually really impact the way that I interact with other people. Like sometimes my wife, Ria, for example, she comes to me with what I realized later on was actually a really good point. Um, but in the moment, I, my initial reaction is just to get defensive, particularly if it's something to re relating to what I've said or what I've done. You know that moment where internally you realize, you're like, oh no, they've actually got a really good point here. But it's a little bit too late. I've already committed to, my, to where I'm standing, so I'm just going to have to press on anyway. Does anyone else know what I'm talking about? Or we all know those times when you, maybe you've had a bit of a fallout with someone and maybe it was a tiny bit your fault, maybe it was their fault. But you know that putting yourself out there and offering an apology would just be the best thing to do. That would just resolve the whole situation. But for some reason, it's just so painful, so hard to actually do that. Because in your mind, there's this battle and you're thinking, yeah, but if I apologize, then it looks like I'm in the wrong. And I know that I'm not in the wrong. Um, and I don't want to look like I'm in the wrong. So really, they should be the one to apologize. Because if I apologize, then they won't ever learn that they're actually in the wrong. So it's probably just for the best if I don't apologize. And it's pretty exhausting, isn't it? But that's at least what goes on in my head sometimes. Maybe this is just me. Maybe I'm giving away a little bit too much. But that's what pride does, doesn't it? it it stops us admitting sometimes what actually we, we need to admit, or it stops us apologizing for what we need to apologize for, or sometimes it just stops us encouraging the people that we, we should probably be encouraging. And in fact, the best way to describe it would probably be that, that pride, in, in most situations, it limits our ability to love other people well and to receive love as well. 
And it's worth saying with this pride that I'm talking about this morning, I'm not talking about how sometimes you might be proud of your kids or proud of an achievement. Um, the pride that we are going to look at today doesn't, um, it's not the kind of pride that sometimes inspires people to do great things. The pride that we're looking at is that pride that is in probably each one of us that we all experience, I imagine, on a day-to-day basis, which we all know actually pulls us downwards. It doesn't, it doesn't lift us up. And when we look at the Bible, it is full of different situations where people make the wrong decisions or they do the wrong thing because they allow pride to have this real influence on their decisions. And one of the, one of the verses um, I want to look at today, um, very quickly, um, it's in a book called Proverbs. It will come up on the screen in a second. Um, and it's Proverbs chapter 13, verse 10. And it picks up on this theme of pride. And it quite simply says, where there is strife, there is pride. Where there is strife, there is pride. And it's so true, isn't it? Where there are problems and hurt and pain, usually somewhere along the line, there's probably some pride in there as well. And even if maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're thinking, yeah, but I don't think I really have an issue with pride. I think the reality is all of us do to a certain extent. Like, for example... The hesitation that we sometimes have to share our faith with our friends or our neighbours is usually rooted in the fact that we don't want to look silly. We're too proud. Or our reluctance to be generous can also be rooted in the idea that we actually deserve our material things more than other people do, so we don't want to share them. It's just another form of pride. Or jealousy as well, very similarly, is the idea that what someone else has, we deserve that more than them. It's a form of pride. It's in so many different things. And I don't think it's dramatic to say that when you look at any kind of problems or, or sin, like even right back um, through the Bible to where Adam and Eve chose themselves over God, at the very heart of all of those things is pride. Because pride is that internal voice in each one of us that says, I know best. Or I should come first. And it means that we often end up choosing our own way rather than choosing God's way. That's what pride really is. And, and that's also why pride doesn't just affect our relationships with each other, but it really affects our relationship with God as well. Because when we get to the very basics of um, the gospel of Jesus and, and what that means, it comes down to this daily recognition that I can't do this on my own. That actually I need Jesus. I'm not good enough to do it without him. And And pride can make that really hard to realize, whether we've never even thought about following Jesus before or whether we've been a Christian for 30 years, it it has the same effect. And like I mentioned a minute ago, there are loads of places in the Bible that point us to this conclusion. And one of the verses that sums this idea up really well um, is in another book um, in the Old Testament called the Psalms. And it is in Psalm 10. It'll be up on the screen again. And it's 10 verse 4, and it says this. In his pride, the wicked man does not seek him. In all his thoughts, there is no room for God. That last little bit, in all his thoughts, there is no room for God. That is what pride does, really. It doesn't leave room for anything else. It squeezes out everything else and just puts us at the center. It puts our full attention on ourselves at the expense of other people and at the expense of God often as well. And it's a little bit like a bad smell. Okay, bear with me with this analogy, okay? So without getting too sciencey, 
this morning, a classic bit of GCSE science tells us that gases, they fill whatever space they're given. Okay, that's, that's what they do. And so say, for example, you're driving along in your car, you drive past a field with some freshly spread manure. Like quite quickly in your car, it feels like it's infected every single square centimeter. It's up your nostrils. There's nothing you can do about it. You cannot escape it. Or maybe you walk into a room in a morning where um, a few teenage boys have slept the night before. <laughs> Again, quite quickly, there is no escape from that. Or there are probably some other smell-related situations that I won't elaborate on, but the idea is that when a bad smell comes along, there's no escape from it. It is quite quickly all that you can smell. And in a similar way, just like this verse is saying, when we allow pride to control our decisions or our emotions, there is no room for God or for anything else, really. It, it just is about us. Because pride pushes everything else out and prioritizes me at the expense of all those other things. And so I've got a little flash to demonstrate that a little bit. So just to clarify, those things on the left aren't in order of importance. I realized that after they went up, hobbies are not my number one priority. But, <laughs> but pretend that that's you there. Pretend that's not me. Pretend that that is you. And whatever might be going on in your head, and just like a bad smell, when pride comes along, it pushes all of those other things out. And we can't think about a lot else other than ourselves in that moment. And that is what this Bible verse is saying. And I know that this diagram may be less scientifically accurate than the gas situation, but it does show us something of how pride just pushes everything else out. And I don't know about you, but when I was thinking about it, I was like, that sounds a little bit bleak, doesn't it? The effect that pride has in so many different ways and the way that it determines how we act in a lot, of, a lot of different situations. But can you imagine if we, me and all of us here, me and you, we as a community of people managed to conquer this type of pride and functioned completely without it, where it didn't determine the way that we treated each other and the way that we reacted to things? In fact, what would your life look like if you were able to completely get rid of it? Or wouldn't you want that freedom from it? Because I don't know about you, but I know, I know I definitely would, and I know how much of a difference that that could make. And so I'm going to spend the rest of the time today looking at what I think is basically the antidote that Jesus modeled to us in, in the way that he lived. And he offers us this way to live that goes directly against the way that pride would lead us. So... 2,000 years ago when, when Jesus showed up, he arrived to a world that was all about this religious pecking order where you knew exactly where you stood and you judged others according to that. And then Jesus basically defined greatness as how well you serve other people, not at how well you were served. He completely turned the whole thing on its head. And Jesus washed the feet of the people that, that followed him. He, he loved the people that actually would come on to ruin his reputation. He forgave the people that would completely disregard him and end up killing him. And that is actually the way that Jesus lived his in, entire life, consistently choosing to put other people above himself. And the idea wasn't that it was just something that Jesus was going to do and then it was going to end with him, but that's something that he was modeling to us as his followers. That's what he was doing. And then one of those followers, um, a guy called Paul, who wrote a lot of the New Testament, was writing to a group of these followers of Jesus um, in a city called Philippi. This was probably about 20 or so years later. 
And in the middle of one of his letters um, in the Bible, it's called Philippians. Um, You might want to grab that. We're going to be looking at that um, for the rest of this morning. He he looks back at what Jesus had modeled to us, um, and he he talked about it. So it's in Philippians 2. It's going to be coming up on the screens, um, 4 to 6. So it says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. So like I said, this is um, the bit that I want to focus on um, for the next little bit. And I think there's basically three parts to this passage. So the first bit, I think the three parts will come up on here. It says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Then it says, rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. And then in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Jesus. So if we have a quick look at that first bit, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. And this is essentially the pride bit that we've already looked at, that, can, that we actually know really can bring the worst out in us. And um, this summer just gone, I was in uh, Crete on holiday with my wife, and it was amazing. It was such a beautiful place and so hot. And, and I don't know if this ever happens to you, but sometimes, um, as a British person, when I go abroad, I do sometimes wonder, why, why do I still live in England? Um, like there's the weather, the grey skies, um, the house prices, living costs, um, the weather again. Um, at the time, the fact that every time a World Cup comes around, we convince ourselves we're going to win, and then actually we're terrible. Um, all of these different things. Sometimes I wonder that, and then I remember, ah, the rest of the world just doesn't quite understand the beauty of queuing in the same way that we do. That is worth staying for, and. So me and Ria, we're in Crete, which is known for its um, history and its preservation of all kinds of ancient cultures, Um, and we're at the water park. Um, We didn't bother with any of the rest of the stuff. And and we're probably the only people there who are grown adults with no children. And we get to this one ride, and it looks a bit like a Tarzan swing. You kind of climb up this ladder, grab onto a zip line, and it swings you out over the water and drops you in it, and it looks great. So we get in the queue for that, and we get about halfway along, and then these two small children, they're probably about eight and ten, they just kind of like walk and just stand in front of us. And I'd love to tell you this morning that I was completely unfazed by it. I was just happy for the children to enjoy themselves in an environment that was probably far more designed for them than it was for me. But I could not believe it. I turned to Ria and I was like, who do they think they are? Just like coming in front of us in the queue like that. How dare they? And then I saw who I'd kind of guessed was their parent walking towards them. And I was like, yes, their parent, they're going to sort this out. They'll explain to their children they should have gone to the back. And then to my utter horror, the parent just walks straight past me, stands in front of me and joins the queue as well. And obviously I didn't actually say anything to them. That wouldn't have been very British to actually admit admit how infuriated I was by the whole situation, because the reality is it probably set us back about 30 seconds in terms of getting on this ride, but it really got to me, as you can maybe tell, far more than it should have done. And so, again, I've um, put a little thing, I added the goggles because I thought it might help you with the water park image, but here I was in this place where I was um, really grateful for being on holiday with my wife. I was enjoying myself, enjoying the sunshine. And then this one tiny little situation happens, and immediately all those happy thoughts just get pushed out, just like that. 
And the only thing I can think about is I was here first and these two little children have jumped in front of me. And you know, that's, that's just one example. That's just one little story. But we all know, don't we, that there's situations like that where, where pride does bring out the worst in us. And so it's no surprise really to read Paul in Philippians saying, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. He's basically saying, don't allow pride to control the way that you act. But it's in the next couple of verses after that that Paul points us back to like, the answer to this problem, basically. So, so let's have a look at those. So the next bit, the alternative that Paul offers us is this. He says, rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. So Paul has basically said, don't allow pride to control you, but rather in humility, do this. And I think this bit is really interesting because I think so often and um, when we talk about humility, it's, we have this idea of you have to think much lower of yourself. So you currently think of yourself up here, but really in humility, you need to think of yourself right down here. But when you read this little bit, it doesn't really seem to be like that's what Paul is saying here. He doesn't say rather in humility, have a really good look at your flaws and focus on them or rather in humility, just have a really low view of yourself. He says, rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. And so it seems that from Paul's perspective, humility is far less about the way that we view ourselves and so much more about the way that we view and treat other people. It comes down to actually the way that we, the way, way that we serve and live that out, not just the way that we think. Because actually the identity that, that we have in Jesus as being loved and accepted and a child of God is amazing. And it's not about somehow trying to see ourselves as any lower as that, but actually making an active decision to love and serve other people and put their interests above our own, whatever that may look like. That's what it comes down to, that's humility. And John Wimber, who he started the Vineyard Movement that this church is a part of, he wrote um, a whole chapter in one of his books about this, um, and it, it was a really good quote, so I thought I'd, I'd read that to you. So he says this, the humility that Paul refers to here is not a groveling concession that everyone else is more gifted or more beautiful or more worthwhile than you are. It refers to status. The servant in God's household treats everyone else as if they had a higher status in the kingdom. A servant takes care of others first and then himself. The essence of servanthood is to live out your life for somebody else. That's the kind of life that Jesus led and that's the kind of life that we are called to. And so that's why humility goes right in the face of pride because pride is all about putting yourself and your needs first and then humility is actually about taking the interests of other people and putting them above your own. And it's quite a challenging way to live, isn't it? The idea of allowing decisions in your life to be determined not by your own interests but the interests of other people as well. And two of my friends here at Trent not too long ago, they um, decided to move house. And they both lived in nice areas and nice houses of Nottingham with, with, with nice houses of Nottingham, did I say that? Nice areas of Nottingham um, with, their, with some good friends. But they decided that they wanted to move because they felt stirred that actually they wanted to live um, in a more deprived area of Nottingham where they could get to know some people and serve people that were in more need than themselves. So 
that's exactly what they did. And in doing so, they sacrificed um, a nicer house. They sacrificed living with great friends that they um, had been living with. And generally, they, they sacrificed what was probably a more comfortable lifestyle. And I'm not saying that to say that all of us should therefore sell our houses and move um, to a different place. I'm sure there are loads of ways that we could love and serve our current neighbors. But what I am saying is that these two friends, they demonstrate something of that humility that Paul is talking about here in that they actually chose to put the interests of other people above themselves, even when it came to choosing where they were gonna live. But they made that decision that they wanted to serve other people. And actually, that's what's being asked of all of us in this passage. Not just with where we live, but in every area of our lives, are we out for putting the interests of other people above our own? And if so, what might that look like for me and for you? Because that is actually what Paul is getting at here, and it would seriously impact every area of our lives if we were up for it. From something as trivial and everyday as the traffic in your car on the way to work, like when we put the interests of other people above our own, maybe, and maybe this is just for me, but we'd be a bit more gracious um, in the way that we treat other drivers. Or take marriage, for example. The best marriages come when two people are willing to put the interests of the other person above themselves. Whether actually with their time, with their energy, with those things to prioritize the other person, sometimes at the expense of themselves. And that doesn't just apply to marriages as well, it's for any relationships or any friendships. Like how can we ensure that we are the kind of friends who actively put the interests of our friends above our own interests? Or another big one would probably have to be finances. Like the implication of what Paul is saying here is that the way that we spend our money should at least um, be influenced by the interests of other people. Like maybe you're saving to one day buy a house or, or your, your kitchen needs redoing or you'd like to buy some new clothes at some point or anything like that. And what I'm not saying is that any of those things are bad things, far from it. But what I do think this implies is that our bank statements also need to reflect the interests of other people sometimes, even if it's in really small ways, just doing things that are showing that we put their interests above our own. And I know this is, this is really challenging, but I do think that this is what Jesus is asking of us as his followers. And this is what Paul is, is getting at here. In our workplaces, our marriages, our friendships, our streets, are we willing to put the interests of other people above our own interests? That is what this comes down to. And if we go back to that idea that pride is a bit like a bad smell, um, humility, in contrast, is like this breath of fresh air. Well, I'm sure we can all think about people we know who are, who are genuinely humble. They've just got this real humility about them. And spending time with them is like breathing in fresh air. It's not hard work at all. And this is why pride and humility don't just affect our own lives and our friends, but they really affect the people around us. And that's why Jesus was so attractive. He was a breath of fresh air to everyone that he spent time with. And so if we move to the next little verse, this is why Paul points us back to Jesus and, and says what I think is probably the most challenging bit. So he says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. 
to have the same mindset as, as Jesus. I don't know about you, but when I, when I read that verse, I find it quite inspiring. I like the sound of having the same mindset as Jesus. But I think the reason that I actually quite like it is because it's a little bit vague. If we were just to stop reading there, um, I don't think we'd actually get what Paul was getting at. And it, it would just be fairly easy just to think of it as this nice thing you might see in a fridge magnet. But when we read on to what Paul is saying, that's when he actually comes to explain, this is what this mindset looks like. So he says, and this is carrying on in Philippians 4, um, reading on from uh, verse 5. So he says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. And being found in in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So let's just pause there for a second because I think that what Paul is saying here is so profound. Because he's saying that even though Jesus is the Son of God, he's, he's part of the Trinity, he's the King of Kings, he's the name above all names, he stepped down from that. He entered history, he became human, he entered into poverty. He chose to constantly serve the people around him, even though they often disregarded, it for it, disregarded him for it. And then in the ultimate act of service and sacrifice, he died on a cross for us. And we've obviously just celebrated Christmas, and I think this is what Christmas is all about, Jesus and his utter humility, that he was up for coming to serve us, whatever that looked like, and eventually he was crucified for it. And like I said a little bit ago, this humility isn't about the way that Jesus viewed himself, it's about the way that he viewed us, and he loved us so much that he stepped down and down and down and came to live this life of service. And so this little bit is where we should pay attention. This is where Paul is really making his statement. He's saying, let's each one of us live in light of this. Let's live in the light of what Jesus has done for us. Let's let that be our motivation that, that shapes our motives and our actions in everything that we do. That's the perspective that Paul is giving us for our everyday lives. And if we put it quite frankly, he's essentially saying, guys, come on, Jesus died for you. And all he's asking is that you might be up for apologizing to that person. Or be willing to admit that maybe you got it wrong in that instance. Or to put other people first, or to forgive that person that we've got a bit of a grudge against. Like in the everyday, day-to-day moments when pride could take us in one direction, we need to instead choose the mindset of Jesus and his humility. Because if we can do that and allow humility to master this pride that we do struggle with, then it will affect every area of our lives. It will affect the way that we treat our spouse because we'll be more concerned with what we're putting in to our marriage than what we're getting out of it. It will affect the type of employee that we might be because we'll spend less time competing with other people and comparing ourselves to the person on the desk next to us and we'll spend more time actually supporting them and collaborating with them. It could affect the type of parent that we, that we could be or that we are because we'll be less concerned about actually how we look as a parent and more concerned with what our children really need, just our love and the love of Jesus. 
It could affect the type of neighbor that we could be because we'll be less, effect, less worried about noise and car parking spaces and messy front gardens. And, and maybe we'll be more concerned with how can I love my neighbors more than I even love myself. It'll affect the way that we share our faith because we'll be less concerned about looking silly in front of people and more concerned with the fact that our friends and neighbors could come to know Jesus. And it'll affect the way that we worship God because when we worship in him in this humility, it's less about us and what we feel and it's more about him. It's not about the band or how it feels or anything like that. And so in so many ways, if we can act in this humility and we can choose this humility, then it will make us like a breath of fresh air. And although we definitely need a lot of God's help for this, and we will spend some time praying about that in a minute, there is also a real element of choice for each one of us today. The choice of opting into this kind of humility, because where pride is often this involuntary urge, which just kind of happens, humility is a choice. It begins as a choice. And so if we don't choose humility, if we don't make that decision, then pride will just always win in all of those situations. And so I guess the question that I'm asking is, are we up for making that choice today? Like in in each of our lives, in each of those different everyday situations, are we up for opting into that? Because whatever that does look like for you or for me, there is so much power and just life in living out that kind of humility. That's why Paul and why Jesus are leading us in this direction.